Welcome to Harvest Valley Worship Center's Sermon of the Week. You can discover more about our church, pastors, and special guests at hvwc.com. We hope that you are blessed by today's message. Well, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. My name is Chris. It is good to be here this morning. Uh, Micah was the one who did the um, great job with the communion this morning. Wow. And, um, and, you know, one of, the, one of the things that we really try to do is really exercise all of the gifts in the body as we can. Um, and some of that is on the platform and some of that is splitting wood. And, you know, like whatever we can give, we want to be a generous people with our time, our energy, all of who we are. Um, one of the things that we do is uh, if you feel like you are called to ministry, we want to equip you for your calling. Specifically in the sense of uh, we've got a group of people that we've been mentoring all year long uh, in a minister's training program. It's called MIT, Ministers in Training. It's not from Boston. It's right here. Um, but um, uh, the month of May, you will hear from each of our MIT people um, sharing a little bit around some of the values that we really hold dearly in our church. And so um, they're going to start that next week as well. Um, so that is on the plate. Um, Meek and I are out of town this next weekend, just to give everyone the update of what we're doing. We do a quarterly spiritual retreat where we get away to be spiritual. It's just a focus of downtime where we can look at sometimes look at our schedules and just pray and just seek the Lord. And we take uh, we do that with a couple of different friends um, that we that we are able to get away. Uh, we just rent a little VRBO and head out and. <laughs> say goodbye to everything for three days. Um, so next weekend, we will not be available. Um, and we're excited because we've been doing this consistently for a while um, now since I came back and because uh, I was gone for about a year, a little over a year. And, um, and in this process, we've recognized that, number one, our pace has to be slower because a fast pace does what? It burns you out, right? But we actually have to be diligent to create a rhythm for rest. Create a rhythm for rest. And so we are doing that consistently. So I praise God that we have so many amazing men and women of God who know how to rightly handle the word of truth. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'm not worried about whether or not Dennis is going to preach heresy. <laughs> you know, and he's mature in the faith. And so it's just wonderful to have that. And then I'm really excited to have Mika um, bring the word of the Lord for Mother's Day on May 8th. Uh, my amazing bride. Um, so she's actually getting invited to more and more places to speak. She spoke at a women's conference, and um, they keep hitting her up, which is cool. So um, one thing that I wanted to just family business thing that I just want to acknowledge and encourage, um, a few weeks ago on March 27th, we said goodbye to the former interim pastor here, Jim Kubiak, and they, they kind of went doing their thing. I just want to say, Make sure you stay in touch with them and love on them while they're out and about doing their thing, okay? Just make sure you touch base with them and are loving on them. Um, for some of us, it feels like a big hole here. And so we just want to acknowledge, man, I, I feel that too. And, um, and there's, sometimes there's a grieving process when people leave. And you know what, though? We, like we said then, and we'll say it again, it's a celebration of them just taking the next step into what God has for them. This is what God put on their heart to do. And we just say yes, and we bless that. 
Um, and we do pray that you would contact them, get a hold of them, um, just see what they're up to, pray with them, have their game night, go eat dinner, like whatever you would normally do. Do that. Do that. Stay in fellowship because sometimes when it's, it can be out of sight, out of mind. And let's not do that. Okay? So just, just want to encourage each of you just to stay in touch with them. Um, and the last, last thing before I get into the word this morning is um, if you are giving, you can give online. Go to hvwc.com. The other thing that you can do is there is a box in the back uh, with a little sign above it that says offering. Uh, you are free to give what, however the Lord leads you and put that in the box um, there. Uh, we will be doing a series in the fall on generosity and tithing and all of that kind of stuff. So um, I, I'm excited for that, but that's going to be months away. So if that makes you feel squirrely, you don't have to worry about it yet. Okay. Um, we, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. The season that we're in, um, God is requiring greater faith from us. We might even have to sing songs by faith because we can't see the words. That's not lost on me. I'm like, actually, you know, it's kind of funny that that happened because God wants us to learn to worship and praise from within, not just I see and speak, but to allow it to go a little deeper. And I was kind of like, oh, this might be really a good thing for us to have no words up. And for some of you that were howling at the moon, I, you know, we just bless you, um, you know, and for those of us that were trying to stay on key, uh, we bless you too, uh, but, you know, it was kind of fun um, to just see that everyone was worshiping very intently, and I just thank you for allowing that to come from your heart, you know, and, and it's not just because we never want worship to be a performance. Right? When I moved to Sandpoint, that was one of the things that I looked for 15, well, now it was 17 years ago. When I moved to Sandpoint, I went around and I was looking at all the different churches, and I went to a bunch of different churches, and the one thing that would turn me off is if there was a show up front, I'm out. I was like, Ugh. It, has to be, it has to come from the heart, you know, because that's the people that I want to be with, right? And that's why I landed here in the long before I was in ministry, um, and so just excited um, that, that I just just kudos for that deeper worship this morning. So thank you for that. Um, and it's fun when there's no lyrics to hear everybody singing at the top of their lungs. It's like, wow, that's awesome. So good. As far as being on the platform and, and worshiping and, and um, you know, we can hear when it's, when people are subdued or they're raucous or, you know, whatever's going on, you know, so it was, it was just really a blessing. We're starting a new series, and obviously, I, I, I'm, it's kind of a weird time to start a series because I'm not preaching for the next two weeks, but what I am going to be doing is laying a foundation that hopefully you can begin to pursue with God some things around the model prayer and the Lord's Prayer, okay? Um, Mika and I do some traveling, and we intentionally take time away, so if you expect to hear from me every Sunday, you're not going to. Just, just to say, we've got great people that we want to, I try to um, at least not preach once a month, if not more. Um, like in May, it'll be, you know, only preach two weeks, you know, which is great. Hallelujah. I'm, I'm good with that. I hope you are too, um, because God, God wants to utilize all the gifts in the body, even on the platform. Amen? Amen? Okay. Have you ever felt powerless in prayer? 
<laughs> Have you ever felt like you were praying and it was like hitting a brick wall? Like there's this ceiling and it's closed shut? Like no one is listening? I've, I've had moments of pain, agony, fear, anxiety when I was praying and I felt like nothing, nothing would move. See, we know that all prayer is an act of faith. All prayer is an act of faith. It's faith that, first of all, that God hears us, and secondly, that God will respond to us, right? Both are acts of faith. Jesus teaches this model prayer in two different sections, and we'll focus on one of those today, but this model prayer is interesting because many have felt that this, this prayer was for the sake of ritual, for personal comfort, right? I mean, I mean, many of us were taught the Lord's Prayer as children, right? And I guarantee you, I could just start saying it, and we could all chime in together and say it all together because it is part of Americana. It is. Like, non-believers know the Lord's Prayer, like, it's just like, it's just part of America. <laughs> the, the reality is that because it became ritual in order to comfort us, many of us believed that this prayer was one that was to be recited. But I would suggest that it is a prayer that is for our benefit, for us to be able to fully partner and participate with what God wants to do in the earth. So we're going we're gonna to pick it apart. We're going to take some time to look at the Lord's uh, prayer for many weeks to come. The series is titled Praying with Power. This is where I click the PowerPoint. I believe God wants to take, um, I, I believe that God wants to take uh, this teaching from the Lord and expand it into an opportunity for deeper encounters with God. See, we, we have a focus for this year, and it is that we are a presence-driven culture of empowerment. We want everything to be around his presence. We want to encounter his presence in everything that we do. He just, he's here, people. He said, when I said that, I felt it. So, so there's this reality. He wants to encounter us as we pursue him. And he gave us an amazing prayer to pray that is actually a beautiful uh, opportunity for us to dive deeper in our encounters with the presence of God. I've been practicing this, and it is transformational. So what I'm bringing to you is stuff the Lord has been showing me and teaching me. And uh, I think those are the best sermons. Um, you know, our, I think everyone who gets up and teaches realizes that the minute that you think you're going to talk as an expert, God going to teach you a lesson. Okay? <laughs> Yeah, I, I think this will also help clear up the airways, right? It's going to grant us uh, some better spiritual hearing. Maybe um, spiritual eyes will open up a little bit better. We're going to be able to see a little bit more clearly what God wants to do. And I'm going to touch on some things that might be new to some of you. Um, for some of you who've been here a long time, these are foundational truths to what we do at Harvest Valley. But I want to lay a foundation today for this concept of the Lord's Prayer because there's something really important for us to grab. There's two places where it's um, uh, where Jesus, it's recorded in the scriptures. The first one is Matthew 6, 9 through 13. We know this is in the Sermon on the Mount. 
um, you know, where, where kind of, hey, when you pray, don't pray like the, you know, they do with their babbling and rep- repetitious words, but instead pray like this. And then he has the Lord's Prayer. And in Luke 11, we see the disciples come and say, well, you teach us how to pray the way that John teaches his disciples how to pray. And, and he, Jesus says, okay, well, when you pray, say this, right? And so we're going to take a look at that um, passage actually out of Luke 11, the introduction to that, a little bit today. Um, and I'm going to read that passage for us, okay? In Luke chapter 11, 1 through 4, this is out of the New King Jimmy. Now it came to pass... And now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's the Luke 11 model prayer that Jesus teaches his disciples, that Luke records. And then we see also Matthew records one in chapter 6 of the Gospel of Matthew. Let's talk about some foundational truths that we need to understand just to contextualize what is happening in this passage. I'm going to make some statements about the church that hopefully resonate with you, but I also hope that if it challenges you that you seek the scriptures, okay? The ecclesia, the church, right? It wasn't actually the, called the, the church, until way later. So let's just, we're going to use the word ekklesia, which means assembly or gathering. Okay. So the in the Greek, the ekklesia is the divine force Jesus left for the sake of building his kingdom. The ekklesia is the divine force that Jesus left for the sake of building his kingdom. And we have a few principles in, in the Harvest Valley DNA is what we call it. Our Harvest Valley DNA uh, when you get into leader step, we have a growth track. So we, we have ask everybody to take first step, which is just let's get onto the basics of how to, you know, understanding scripture and prayer and fellowship and evangelism, these basics of our faith. We want to make sure that that is clear. So we do a four-week small group, and then we're changing it around. We're going to do like an all-day Saturday, what's called next step. Um, and that that is an opportunity to learn more about the, the DNA of Harvest Valley, what makes us tick, what's our mission, what's our vision, How do what's our culture, why do we do what we do the way that we do it. A lot of people will walk in the door and, wow, these guys are friendly. Guess what? That's intentional. Not to manipulate, just we are honestly intentional about trying to love people. So, so that's next step. And then if you want to grow in your leadership for yourself, for home, at your workplace, or you want to grow as a leader at Harvest Valley, we have a, the last step in our growth track, which is called Leader Step. Well, in Leader Step, we talk about some of the Harvest Valley DNA, that, and, and we've defined a few aspects of it. And let me just give you a handful of these. One of, one, of the, one of the core principles of Harvest Valley is that the ecclesia is the point. Jesus came to save people to build his church. Who's in the ecclesia? Are you saved? Raise your hand. All of us. Okay. Hey, you're the point. 
right? The ecclesia is the point. The ecclesia is people. It is not a building. Okay, good. It's resonating. All right, we're good. Okay, good. What? The ecclesia is a transformational force. We believe that the church was left here to change the world. We were not left here to just, well, maybe someday I'll get by. No, we're here to change the world. The church is not just a teaching center, it is a training center. We're not just here to give you stuff, but we actually want to help you develop the skill that you need to be good at the things God has given you to do. It's like doing evangelism and outreach. And we say, hey, we're going to do an outreach. We're going to help teach you the skill of evangelism. And nobody signs up. (laughs) Nope, I don't need that skill. I'm good. You're going to make me uncomfortable. We're we're great. Um, uh, I'll just touch on this. I I hope this doesn't go too long, but I feel like I need to rabbit trail for a moment just on this one topic. Um, um, Our friend Peter uh, DeWitt, has um, he's an educational um, consultant, and Peter uh, shared some things when him and I were in Minnesota ministering a couple weeks ago, and he shared some things um, with Nathaniel, Nathaniel and Amy White's church that we were at. He shared some things that were just really powerful. One of the things that he talked about is this concept of competency, and competency is re- three things are required for competency. Right? And this is a great place to take notes if you guys are note takers because this, this is going to stick with you for a long time. If you're going to be competent, if you're, so let's just use the example of being a competent doctor because I'm the son of one and I married one. Okay, So if you're going to be a competent doctor, you have to have knowledge. Right? You've got to know how that part of the body works or how the whole body works. You've got to understand it. You've got you to have the knowledge. But then you also have to have what they call disposition, right? And a disposition is good bedside manner, right? Because if you're a doctor and you don't have good bedside manner and you're kind of a jerk, you're probably not keeping patients. And you're not actually a good doctor because humans have more than physical needs, amen? Amen. Okay, good. This is why Mika is, is booked out all the time because she actually takes time with people. Like, she really takes time with people. She's like, about 50% of her job is counseling. One of the realities of disposition, in, and, and we'll actually compare this to the church, but people can have a great disposition like a phlebotomist, somebody who's going to draw blood, and they can be sweet and smiling and nice and turn your arm into Swiss cheese. Because they don't have skill. So you actually have to have all three if you're going to be competent in something. You've got to have knowledge, disposition, and skill. Well, the church is amazing at knowledge, are we not? We, I mean, just the sermons on YouTube alone. Like, never leave your home. Put YouTube on to some sermon and just sit there for 18 days, and you will never hear a repeat sermon, and you'll have new content in every sermon. We're not lacking knowledge. Would you agree with that? Okay. Now, we've got 
many of us have great disposition. We want the heart of God. We want to love people well, right? I got disposition. I love God, and I've got the heart of God, and I want to love people well. And yet, when it comes to skill, we run away. Let's teach how, how do you love each other well. Let's do a class on just some practical ways of loving people. Let's start a small group called Harvest Hands that goes and expresses the love, of pe- love for people by acts of service and going and fixing and repairing items. And it's like meeting after meeting, no one's going to actually come. Because we're not, we don't have a mindset that is focused on developing the skill to love well or to evangelize. Now, if I did a, if I did a be here at 8 o'clock and I'm going to do a study on hermeneutics, it would be a well, more better attended than Harvest Hands because it actually is, I'm going to learn the skill of gaining knowledge and comfortable there. But if I'm saying, hey, I'm gonna, we're going to do an eight-week class on, on evangelism, we go, eh, sorry, I'm sleeping in. Eight o'clock, are you crazy? It's Sunday. Eight o'clock? Yeah. See, we, we have a aversion to developing skill in the body of Christ. So perhaps we're not as competent of Christians as we think we are. Hallelujah, amen. Pastor is preaching, is good. Woo! All right. All of that, all of this is to say that we are a transformational force. If, if this is not about just teaching you things, training is about learning the skill of doing. And it's a posture of your heart. See, anybody can be taught But to be trained means that you're willing to learn what you don't already know. Those who are mature and humble seek to be trained. They look for it. They knock on my door. Can you help me learn how to do that? Absolutely. You bet. The humble and mature will be trained. Key qualifiers to developing yourself in Christ. Don't think you know it all. Amen? I know, that was offensive to some of you, but I just bless you in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. So this is not just a teaching center. It's a training center. And the church was intended to be a church without walls. Okay. So I want to look at, real quick, as we lay the foundations for this prayer, I think it's really important to know who is Jesus talking to, right? Jesus is talking to those men that he had set apart and set aside and called his apostles, right? These are the ones that Jesus said, I, I, I'm going to take, take a bunch of guys, I'm going to gather you together, and then I'm going to pick out of you, I'm going to pick 12 apostles. He actually names them apostles and says, you guys are my apostles. So we're going to talk about this a little bit because I think it is very important about how he teaches us how to pray. See, the setting apart of the 12, it gives us a glimpse into the foundation of the ecclesia and the kingdom of God, those he was training and teaching to pray. Uh, in Luke chapter 6 is a great uh, is where we see the calling of the 12 
And um, and I'm going to read from Young's literal translation of this passage. It says, And it came to pass in those days he went forth to the mountain to pray and was passing the night in the prayer of God. And when it became day, he called near his disciples, and having chose from them twelve, whom also he named apostles. I want to focus on three words here. Called, chosen, and named. Because I think this is actually really important for us to understand as the ecclesia. Listen, you have been called, you've been chosen, and you've been named. And oftentimes we neglect the call, the choosing, and the naming like, oh yeah, I'm saved. But we don't know that he actually pulls, pulls us out of darkness into light with purpose and with intention. The word called here is prosphaneo, and it's to put out a sound. It's like a megaphone. And he was summoning to himself. Chose is eklegome. Try that again. Eklegome. And um, the E-K, the ek, is just very similar to ekklesia. Um, It's that opening there, and then legome is based on the word lego, which means to put in order. Isn't that funny? Legos, to put in order, right? And I'm like, that's cool. Come on, we have so many Legos at our house. Holy cow. Put them in order, kid. What this word means is to be called out from into a divine order. To be called out from something into a divine order. Or my. Chosen. All right. Now, named. Onomazo is to assign a name. And when this happens in a group, it assigns the role. So when you assign a name to a group, you're giving them a role. So he names them as apostles. He gives them a role. So the calling, choosing, and naming of the 12 reveals to us the magnitude of what it meant to follow Jesus. To be called into the role of apostle meant that they were divinely called and named as to be those with authority. And we know this by how Jesus referred to them as a group, the ecclesia. Which leads us to then this next foundational truth, the first one being that the ecclesia is a divine force that Jesus left for the building of his kingdom. The next one is that the great confession established the purpose. This is the foundations of the kingdom of God. This is the foundation of the ecclesia. And we see this um, great confession in Matthew 16, 13 through 20. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, Who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh, the pink, that was so good. The flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. 
And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. See, the disciples are given authority on earth in this realm, and God promises that he will move things in the spiritual realms as they exercise authority in this realm. We know in the Great Commission in Matthew 28 that we talked about last week with Resurrection Sunday, Jesus was given all authority, and because Jesus has all authority, he says, now go therefore. We are are called to operate in the authority that God has given us. Would you agree with that? Thank you. Jesus' first mention of the ecclesia is Jesus giving the first assignment or job description for the disciples. We have this rule in Bible study called the law of first mention, right? Because we understand that the context of a word oftentimes will be built upon its first use in Scripture. I I could give you tons of examples, but just say, here's the first time that the word ecclesia is used in all the Scriptures. Jesus uses the word ecclesia when he says, on this rock I will build my ecclesia, my church, my ecclesia. And what is the rock? It wasn't Peter. What was the thing that Peter got? Peter got the revelation that he is the Christ. That is the rock on which the church is built. Jesus, the chief cornerstone of our faith. He's the rock. Okay, so he's the rock upon which all of the ecclesia will be built. And we see that concept repeated all throughout Paul's writings. It is no wonder that this is a fundamental prayer that he teaches his disciples to pray. When in Matthew 6, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When the first instructions that he said is, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. Huh? So when you pray, pray that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven because I gave you the authority to bind, on loose and, or on, to bind and loose on earth because when you do that, that actually happens in the heavenly realms. This is, how, this is the first thing that God gives the ecclesia for a role. What are you to do? This is critical. It's critical. The ecclesia is a divine group, a gathering, an assembly. It's a divine group of people who were called out, set apart for the purpose of establishing the kingdom of God on the earth. I said this last week, but I'll just repeat it because sometimes that makes people uncomfortable. Like, wait, we're established God's kingdom on the earth? Do you mean that we're supposed to rule and reign and take political power and that make everybody subject to Christianity? No. Jesus said that the kingdom was like leaven, that, that the leaven would then be go throughout the whole thing 
And what does leaven do? It makes the whole thing rise. See, the kingdom of God is about what is in our hearts, how we act, and whether or not we are discipling a nation to look like a Christian nation or not. It doesn't mean that we need to put the cross in the White House. It doesn't mean that we need to say, well, if it's not Christian, it ain't God. Well, God, God reigns on the just and the unjust. He does, and he will use ungodly men, clearly, he will use ungodly men <laughs> to do his bidding, to do his work. But does the heart of this nation match the heart of the Father? Do the, do the areas in our culture are they coming to the place where they're now being discipled to look like God would want it to look? That's the question. Those are the things that we have to wrestle with as the ecclesia. Because whatever is bound on earth is bound in heaven. And whatever is loosed on earth is loosed in heaven. And Father has asked us to bring heaven here. So we've got this big thing in front of us. And Jesus says, I've called you, I've chosen you, I've named you, and you need me. So I'm going to teach you how to pray. Oh yeah, it's better that I, you need me, but it's better that I go so that you can have the Holy Spirit who will actually be your teacher, who will actually be your counselor, your comforter, and will guide you into all truth. Hmm. Jesus established his ecclesia to have authority. Uh, let me give you some context here because I think it's easy to, to lose sight of this too. Um, we have not been taught history well in the church. Because of good old King James, we, we just really are messed up on what word means church and what word means assembly. And if you just, every time you see church, just read assembly, you're probably going to be a lot more accurate. Because we have a concept of church that has been, been um, built up over millennia. Okay? We can get into, we can get into the, um, prob- I think there's like 18 clear anti, like, like that goes, <laughs> I might offend somebody, so I just bless, I, I'm sorry. I, like the reason why, I personally am not a fan of the King James Version of Scripture is because it abused the language extremely to serve a king's need. And when you study it and what was wrong with the actual translation, it's shocking. The things that 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 are translated in the King James Version that don't actually fit the actual Greek at all. They just don't. And so, so I, I read a lot out of the New King James, but I also study pretty hard to make sure I'm not missing a translation. Okay? So just, just so that you're aware, there's, there's some things here that when I talk about the church, the word church um, was really instilled in the King James 
to get everyone to submit unto the church of the time, the Church of England. Like, this was the thing, okay? Now, we have to see it much differently now because we have more information than we did then. We have good studies, great Great actual historical writings have been discovered. There's a lot of things here that are worthy of taking the time. Don't, don't crawl in a hole and go, that's all I can believe, la, la, la. Don't do that. Seek it out. Search it out, okay? So, all right, I'm just, I'm just saying that. Because the, the, the ecclesia is to have authority. In the context of Roman governance, both the term of apostle and the term ecclesia were not religious terms. They weren't religious terms at all. Ecclesia is actually a Roman governmental authority. An apostle was a Roman general. So we go, well, the literal translation of the word means sent ones. Yeah, sent with authority to kill and destroy and to build. <laughs> like, now how about with, a, with, the, with the whole backing of the Roman government sent ones? Like, we, we just, we got to grapple with this a little bit. Um, so the apostle was a Roman general that oversaw the transformation of conquered territories. They were direct emissaries of Caesar. They were to oversee the assembly of Romans that would go with the apostle to Romanize the places they had conquered. The, that assembly that went with the apostle to wherever they were going to Romanize the culture was called an ecclesia. The ecclesia was the group that governed bringing unique skills to the new territory. The ecclesia was required to have a multitude of gifts at work. That when they went into a new territory, you know what they would do? They would teach language, history, art. They would teach literature. They would teach religion, government, business. They would develop infrastructure. They would have uh, engineers as part of that. To How can we build aqueducts? What are the different things that we could do here to make this Roman? That's what the role of the ecclesia. In Jesus' time, this is what an ecclesia did. Now, we see another picture of ecclesia in, um, in the book of Acts when um, Paul is in Ephesus and there's riots happening and it's craziness and they call the assembly of the city together to bring judgment on Paul. That word is ecclesia of the city together to bring judgment on Paul. It was not a solely Christian term. This was a Roman term. It wasn't even a Christian term until we changed the word in the Bible. The reason why they did this and they would do this in new territories is to make sure the new territory was more likely to be a viable and obedient subject of Rome and Caesar. The apostle oversaw the work and the ecclesia cultivated the culture of Rome in the foreign land. How many of you know we are, we are not of this world? We are foreigners. We're here to cultivate the kingdom of God as the ecclesia. 
I feel like a couple of your heads just exploded. Are you guys okay? All right. Apostles are to direct the ecclesia's work to establish God's kingdom. And without that revelation, when we look at why we are here as the assembly of God, we can miss our entire role and purpose why we are here. The weight of the role was not lost on the disciples when he said that he called them apostles and would build his, that on the revelation that he was the Christ, that he was going to build an ecclesia. They got it. Oh, he is going to take over the government. Because there was things Jesus was saying that made them think that he was going to take over the government. Just the term apostle and ecclesia is enough. All right. Jesus wants the ecclesia to be effective and in God's divine order, so he teaches the original apostles how to pray. How to pray. All right. So we're going to look at Luke 11, verses 1 and 2. Now that we have this foundation, because, listen, we need to understand why we are here if we're going to pray with power. Most of us are praying to get by. Most of us are praying that God would solve our problem. And I need some more money. Money ain't your problem. Okay, for those of you that don't have that revelation deep in your spirit, money is not your problem. You're a son of God. You're a daughter of, the, of God who has all power and authority and all the supply. Is it all his? Do you, have you given all your stuff to his? Because he'll do more with what you give him than what you withhold. So, like, there's this reality of, like, no, he is my provider. I love the old song, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Right? Like, okay, no, he's our provider. Money is not the problem. We've lost sight of why we should be praying. So Jesus says, I'm going to teach you how to pray with purpose and how to pray with power. Luke 11, the first two verses there in the Lord's Prayer, says, now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place. Side note, Jesus had a certain place. Find one for yourself, right? We know that this was at minimum a special place for Jesus. You see that there were certain places Jesus would go to consistently to be alone with God like the Garden of Gethsemane. That was not the first time he'd been there to pray. All right. So when he had ceased, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say. Now, the beginning of the teaching is simple, right? When you pray, say. When you pray, say. Say is the word lego. It means to say or to speak, but it is a primary verb, which means to lay forth or to put in order. Put it in order. When you pray, say. Speak with some thoughtfulness. Let's look at this word. This, um, it's a form of the word logos, and... Um, 
of course, we find that in John 1. In the beginning was the Word, Logos, and the Word, Logos, was with God, and the Word, Logos, was God. And the word lego has a sense of assembling together for speech. This is a significant word when used in this contest text. And I would suggest that this assembling together for speech is about something which could be well thought out, formulized, and maybe even judicial. You have authority. So maybe you need to judge some things when you pray. Maybe you need to pray with power. And it's really interesting because the word pray is prosukamai. It is definitely not a beseeching or asking kind of prayer. This type of prayer isn't, dear Lord, maybe if you might find it someday in your will that perhaps, possibly, maybe, I hope I could get a new car. <laughs> this ain't that type of prayer. That's not it. <laughs> I love it. Prosukamai. The compound word is pros and sukamai. It literally means to throw oneself toward. It is a very positive and emotional word in the Hebrew. Well, if you take, take it from a Hebrew teaching, the word pray, that's translated into prosukamai, it actually has this concept of the deep burden. But not like a sad one, like like there's weight it it's like a weight to the joyful word so prosukamai this kind of prayer is very different from the petitioning prayers it becomes more of a decree a pronouncement and an authoritative demand that something on earth must respond to the dominion of the kingdom of heaven you got to move So when you pray, say, isn't that simple? When you pray, say, means that you should be thoughtful, deliberate. You should decree with some authority. I love the, that you actually need to be thoughtful in how you build your prayer because we don't want to be decreeing things that aren't from God. <laughs> I mean, I've done it. I mean, come on. I'm up against the wall, and I'm like, God, I'm decreeing my solution. I'm going to decree my solution. I'm going to decree my... And Jesus is like, that's not the solution. <laughs> Keep decreeing that, but it's not the solution. Well, God, I prayed and prayed and I prosukamied myself all night. <laughs> and Jesus is like, yeah, I know. You never asked me what to decree. You didn't stop to check. <laughs> 
Chris? You think your wisdom is going to beat mine? Never. Never. He is divine intelligence. The creative intellect. And he's like, you sure you don't want my advice on this one? When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he wasn't just giving them a way to comfort themselves through a ritual. He was giving us a protocol to partner with God intimately to change the world. And I believe that as we learn to pray how Jesus taught us to pray, we will hear better, we will see clearer, and what we say when we pray will build the kingdom of heaven right here. I'm just going to tell you, Jesus wants to be your Lord. Many of us have accepted Jesus as our Savior, but he is pursuing us to do more than be saved. He is pursuing each of us to put him on the throne of our hearts, to recognize you are called, named, and chosen, to carry authority so that what you bind on earth what you prosukamite, what you decree, come on now. On earth is bound in heaven. What you loose, what you say, this, this is good. I loose that. Is loosed in heaven. We will talk a little bit more at length about the heavens because I think it's important to understand what the heavens is, Right? Everything that is happening in the spiritual world around us, we would consider to be in the heavens, in the spiritual realm, okay? There's a, the spiritual realm is real, demons are real, angels are real, this stuff is real. I loved in our pre-service, in our worship prayer time, Ted, praise God, put a covering over this place, put a covering over this place that, that in nothing Nothing can come in or out. That shouldn't be. Like, seal this thing off today. Come on. The stuff is real. Now, God is not interested in your rhetoric for God. In your knowledge or your disposition at this point. He wants to teach you the skill to pray. And the change in your heart is, is like, okay, I can be taught how, but skills training says I'm going to practice. Amen? So my hope for us is that we take these two passages and we spend time and you begin to pray yourself into the prayer. Father, hallowed be your name. And to take time on it. God, what does it mean for your name to be holy in my life so that I can establish your kingdom here because it's with purpose? God, forgive me of my trespasses and teach me how to forgive every day, how to forgive every day. 
Father, help me to live a lifestyle of forgiveness, to begin to, to open your heart up to the Lord so he can begin to move within us how to live this lifestyle of forgiveness to where we're not bound up. We're going to see radical healings through this series because forgiveness is the, forgiveness is the unforgiveness is the largest binder of demonic attachment to people's lives. Unforgiveness is the largest binder of demonic attachments in people's lives. And you don't, I'm not saying you're possessed by the devil. I'm saying that he's got access to oppress you, to mess with you, because you've allowed unforgiveness to live in your life. So, so take the prayer seriously. Are you with me? He wants you to be changed and to live with power and authority in your witness as the ecclesia. Amen? Amen. Will you stand with me We pray? I'm excited for the series. I think it's going to be powerful. I think we had a good opener today. I want to ask you some questions, and I want you to seek your heart between you and the Father. See, God the Father is currently sitting on the throne of heaven. He's sitting on the throne. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. We are seated with Christ right now in heavenly places with the Father in heaven. This is just what the scripture tells us is true. Okay? But Jesus says, it goes so that you can receive the Holy Spirit who is within us, lives in us. The God sitting on the throne of heaven, does he have all of you? Does he have all of you? All of your choices? All of the words that come out of your mouth? Have you laid everything down before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? This is where we start. God, I'm asking that you would give us the courage and the strength to lay everything at your feet, to trust you, to believe in you, to follow you. I'm going to give you an opportunity right now to commit your life fully and completely to Jesus Christ. Some of us, it's, maybe it's been a while since you actually had a conversation with God, but today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to renew your vow unto the Lord. So I just, with hope in my heart, with that longing for everything within me, that you give yourself wholly to Jesus, invite you to do that right now. And that can be done just where you're at, just between you and the Lord. Say, Jesus, I give you all that I am. I give you my finances. I give you my house. I give you my marriage, my children. God, I make you Lord of my life, and I want to hear you, and I want to know you. God, forgive me for partnering with myself and partnering with things that aren't of you. Forgive me, God, for not trusting you. And I choose to trust you today. I choose to trust you today. Thank you for joining us today. 
Harvest Valley Worship Center is called to be a refuge for healing and a launch pad for transformation. If this message impacted you today, please let us know in a comment, or you can email us at media at hvwc.com. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to connecting with you.